Good morning, everyone. My name is Jessica Wright. I am an anchor here at OCC, and I will be reading today from 1 Thessalonians. If you can please stand for the reading. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Thank you. All right. Thanks be to God for the beauty and the power of his word. How's everybody doing? Oh, good shout there. All right. Good mood, even with a Jags loss, you know. Sorry, I'm going to remind you. Yeah, you're all here, though. It's good. I like it. Well, if you got your Bible, throw me to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we'll be right in chapter 2. Uh, if you haven't been with us, we're in a series called First and Second Thessalonians. We don't really have a series title. Keep Calm, Carry On is kind of the subtext, this idea that the Apostle Paul uh, is driving into them some of the characteristics that have been birthed in them because they've been chosen by God, because they've gone from death to life in Jesus. They become Christians, and now they, they've got these characteristics that exist inside of them uh, that they don't even know that they have. And the Apostle Paul sees it working in them in chapter one and begins to highlight those things to remind them and says, yes, these are the things that, that will, will carry the gospel. These are the things that will give you joy in difficult circumstances. So that's kind of where we've, where we've been. Um, and as I, I was reading this passage and just even reading through uh, the commentary, I don't know why it, it popped in my mind, but I just started thinking about branding. Uh, if anybody knows me, I kind of am into the, the whole graphic design, branding. Um, I do advertisement. I was in um, marketing when I got out of college. And I remember we used to go through branding disasters, like things that happened along the way. Um, and, and you've got all kinds of different things that become like these things that we remember about different brands. I mean, Pepsi's had some branding disasters. I remember there was one with Michael Jackson and his hair getting caught on fire. And you just don't want that. Like that is just not good for the brand. Coca-Cola rarely has had any of those, like those type of branding disasters. McDonald's has had a few. I mean, I would say filet of fish but some people in here, you know, they love filet of fish and, and McRib. I mean, come on. I mean, I don't know if that's a branding disaster, but they keep bringing it back. So somebody must know something that I don't. But I remember there was one that was more recently. Um, and for those of you that are Android people, um, I don't know why you are, um, but I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I remember Samsung, their, their phones started catching on fire. Anybody remember that? 
Like, he's like, is it, did anybody's phone in here? Did anybody's phone in here catch on fire from Samsung? No, that's what's funny is it probably was just a few of them, but it doesn't take much to take the whole thing down, right? I mean, it doesn't take much. And I remember I was in my bed one night and I was on my laptop. I know it's not good to be on your laptop, but I got to preach to you people. So sometimes that happens. Um, and my, uh, my laptop, the, the, the power cord that was part of, connects to the laptop, little magnetic thing on my MacBook, it caught on fire. Like I was just sitting there. No, I didn't drip, spill a drink or do anything. I'm just sitting there typing away and all of a sudden a little blue flame and then a full on flame. And I'm like, ah, ah, ah! I was on fire. And uh, so I call, I call out, I could look up the thing and I'm like, you know, what, what, what do I do about this? My, my laptop caught on fire. Um, I can't tell you the response that I got from Apple. It was like, all of a sudden, I went from this person to this person to this person to this person. I mean, there was so many. I got a new laptop, I'll just tell you that, very quickly. Um, and I talked to pretty high-level people at Apple. Like, I mean, you just like, you know, I was there in Cupertino. I was, I was it's like, they were, the big people were calling me. Attorneys, they wanted me to sign some stuff. I mean, and why do you think that is? Because they did not want to be, they didn't want me posting anything on Instagram or anything. I was like, I was happy to get Apple products. Um, but they, they're trying to avoid something. And they, they don't want to have an image problem. Samsung, for a short season, had an image problem with their phones and Apple sales went up. Now, when I think about what the Apostle Paul is is wading through in the church in Thessalonica. You've got a church, you've got a, 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 a new movement. And all of a sudden it's got its own brand. And things are happening as a result of that. And there's everybody else that's protecting their brand in their, in their area, in the world that they're in. I mean, like I, like I said a couple of weeks ago, Thessalonica was a very prominent place in, in the Roman empire. Like it was a port town, uh, very diverse. Um, had a lot of different religions, not just, not just the pantheon of gods that we know, but like all, all different kinds of things were going on. A lot of different ideology, philosophy was huge. So there was a lot of weight pushing against Christianity, even though the power of Christianity by the power of the spirit was exploding. So there was this, this tension that was happening, but there was also Judaism was still very prominent in Thessalonica. There was Jews in there that hated, and that's why the apostle Paul kept getting beat with rods. I mean, it just happened over and over again. But as I was thinking about where we are, and, and, and when you think about the brand that Christianity has, and I just started doing a little research, and I just want to throw up a few quotes. Um, this is one that I was like, okay, we may have a branding problem. Christians are the devil's greatest weapon. I mean, that comes from a comedian. All the people I know don't, that, all the people that I know and don't respect are Christians. Quote from a scientist. It really sucks to be a Christian right now. I was in the Huffington Post. I don't want to call myself a Christian anymore. It was an author that proclaimed to be Christian at age five and gone through all the stuff. Christianity definitely, definitely has an image problem. And here's the, the reaction I get when, I, when, I, when, I've, when I've talked about this or been kind of in the research phase of talking about how this works out and how we get on the ground with where they were in the church of Thessalonica and where we can look at it as the church as a whole. Like we might be thinking, I mean, immediately we start thinking, well, who are these people? They've, you know, they've, got, they've got their own ideology. They've moved away and walked away from Christianity. And the, our first response to some of the things that we read uh, is anger. But in, in the research that, that I've seen from guys that are, um, are in, on our side, they're in our camp, 
They're followers of Jesus and they have our best interest at heart. This guy, Kevin DeYoung, who writes for the Gospel Coalition and pastors a church, very prominent writer. Here's what he says. The church in the eyes of many outsiders, especially the young, is filled with hypocritical, anti, and he's not saying this. He's saying these are, these are this is what a, an entire generation is saying. I just want you to have some clarity. He's not saying these things, but these are the, these are the assumptions and things lodged against the church. He says, people are saying that the church in the eyes of many outsiders, especially the young, is filled with hypocritical, anti-women, anti-gay, judgmental, closed-minded, bubble-dwelling acolytes for the Republican Party. Christianity, as one popular book puts it, has an image problem. And until we fix our image, the argument goes, more and more people will stay away from our churches and others will leave out of sheer embarrassment and frustration. That's Kevin DeYoung. David Kinman says, unfortunately, and this is a guy that writes uh, for a huge research group, so he's got facts behind all the things that he writes. He says, unfortunately, Christians are defined by what we oppose rather than who we are for being Jesus. The image problem is worse than we imagine. It's getting harder to be a Christian in American culture. Part of that is because with, with this up and coming generation, they're more negative, hostile and aggressive, frustrated and disillusioned with faith in general speaking of uh, comparatively to other generations. The research done by the Barna Group and David Kinneman says nine out of 12 of the perceptions of Christianity among 16 to 29 year olds. So there's, I mean, that's a good chunk of, that's a good size demographic, are negative. Nine out of 12, citing these perceptions of the church, hypocritical again, proselytizers, anti-sinner, anti-homosexual, sheltered, boring, old-fashioned, too political, and judgmental. Now, our, how, what's all, it's quiet in here, I love it. It's like, man, this is depressing. You know, God, Jags lose, and now this. <laughs> Look, I think this, the, 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 there's some good news here. First of all, we've got, there's nothing that's gonna overcome the church. There's nothing that's gonna overcome the church. Je Jesus said to himself, is he speaking to, to Peter, who's a knucklehead at best? Like he was not capable of carrying the mantle of the church, but Jesus said, you're gonna have my spirit. He hands the keys to him and says, nothing, nothing will over, don't you worry for a second because nothing will overcome the church. Now, from that place, how do we react? There's a lot of different reactions and a lot of different emotions for those of you that have been followers of Jesus, just even hearing this. I mean, first of all, you're like, I wanna go punch a little, you know, just these you know, Gen Zers in the face, you know? What are they thinking? They don't even know. What about the good old days? They don't even know what good is. I mean, we start to respond and think about what, you know, where, where do we go? Do we, do we soften the blow? Do we figure out how to brand better? How do we brand Christianity? How do we, change the, how do we change the image? I mean, if that's true, what David Kinneman says and Kevin DeYoung, and I'm telling you, these guys are trustworthy guys and they are in your camp. If they're right, then we, we do have an image problem. So what does it look like for followers of Jesus to change that? What are the characteristics that the Apostle Paul might be highlighting in, 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 in these, these letters to the, to the Thessalonians that might give us an, some insight into what it looks like to draw on the spirit that God has given us as followers of Jesus. And for those of you that are here that don't know Jesus, you're probably nodding your head. You're probably thinking, yes, Christianity does have an image problem. I walked in here thinking some of those things. 
Well, maybe, just maybe, I'm pretty convinced actually, that you're gonna find out as we read this scripture, as we sing together as a church, as we lift our voices towards the most important thing, which is Jesus, you're gonna realize very quickly that what we're doing, who we're, who we're attached to, um, is so much different than the perceptions that you have. And maybe if you, you open your ears for just a few moments and be graceful enough to, to listen to God's word, you will change your mind. But one of the problems that exists, I think is our, our perception as insiders. I mean, as a pastor, I've got, the, I've got this, I, you know, I, I hear the outside view from what I read and, and occasionally when I talk to people, but I hear that less. They find out you're a pastor and they're, they, people sometimes back off a little bit and don't start bashing Christianity immediately because they know it's my job. Um, but for the insiders, they feel, they feel a little bit of this too. Kevin DeYoung talks about them as well and kind of the weight that falls inside the church. Many church insiders have an equally negative impression. They feel personally wounded or let down by the church. They find the church legalistic, oppressive, hurtful. The leaders are controlling, the people are phony, and the ministry is programmed to death. And it goes on and on to talk about almost that, I mean, I, I call it the angry missionary syndrome. I hate to say that because I think we have some great missionaries that we support in the field that love the church, um, but that say, why, you know, why do we do church the way that we do it? Why is it all about lattes? It's, it's moved away from what we know in the first century. You know, church can be to, you know, three guys you know, in, in a circle in a field that just opened the, the word of God or just a group of, you know, small group of people that have, there's no organizational anything. Why, why does it have to be this way? Um, and there's kind of that attitude and cynical attitude towards the church. But there's also the people that have experienced hurt, which if, you, if you're involved in a, in a place like this with a bunch of people in it, hurt is gonna happen. It just is, is, part of, is part of what it is. So on both sides, and you can feel for me as a pastor, it does, from the outside perspective and the inside perspective, especially of late, um, you think, well, what do we do? And what I love about the Bible, what I love about where we are, and I love about this book, is you've got a group of people 2,000 years ago that are in a very similar situation. In fact, it's gotten, like we're, we're, we're we're on the cusp of maybe some of this, maybe a, a shade of this, but they were in the middle of it, so much so that people were getting drug outside the church, drug outside of their houses and beaten with rods. People that were coming in gracefully uh, preaching the gospel and inviting people into the unending ocean of grace uh, were being chased out of town. We're, we're under threat of murder. So we're, we're not there yet, but reading these quotes, we realized people are not that excited about Christianity, and I've said this many times, we're in a post-Christian kind of season um, and realm that we've kind of landed in, uh, in the West here in the United States, which is, you know, I think our reaction to that is, how do we get back to the good old days? But that really wasn't what the Apostle Paul did. And in fact, you know, when you think about this, Scripture says that, that we'll be persecuted and hated for our faith. But that's held in tension with many other places in Scripture that says we're to have a good reputation with outsiders. So in the balance of that, it's like, yeah, we're gonna be persecuted. I think all of a sudden we can kind of poke out our chest. Yeah, of course we're gonna be persecuted. This is what happens. It's time to get ready for the war. It's time to get ready for the battles. It's time to get ready for the fight. But what? We're not, what, is, what does Scripture say? Ephesians 6, we're not, we're not at war with people. We're not at war with people. We are not at war with flesh and blood. Our war is with the principalities. There's an enemy that wants you to go to war with people. So there's gotta be something different. There's gotta be a, a different posture. 
but we certainly need rebranding. Or maybe we need to go back to an old branding from the time when the Apostle Paul was talking. But the Apostle Paul begins to lean into this idea of having thick skin and a soft heart. So if you got your Bible, let's jump right in in uh, chapter two. And I want to talk about three characteristics the Apostle Paul highlights in his own life and with the people that he was carrying and highlights within the church in Thessalonica. And they're ones that I think are a brand that we need to carry as followers of Jesus, um, but that are only birthed by the power of the Spirit and from people that are chosen by God in that you are a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus, as we said in the first weeks as we were in this series. But background information, we've kind of covered that. Paul's in Corinth writing. It could be a few months. It could be a little over a year. He's writing these letters. He's congratulating them in some ways, but he's, in a very wise way, he's reinforcing some things that he sees happening as a result of them becoming followers of Jesus. But he's also, this is his tactful way of correcting. As you get further and further into these letters, you'll realize these people started kind of moving down a road that you know, wasn't helpful. And the Apostle Paul's like, hey, remember, you're here on planet Earth. Don't separate yourself completely from everything that's going on. We gotta carry the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. So the first characteristic that you see here in this passage of scripture, if you didn't hear it as we were reading it, is that the Apostle Paul, his ministry was marked by boldness. He said, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So it was a bold Christianity. So I, when I think about that, I'm thinking about the, the church. And, and is, that, is that where we are? Is that where I am? Am I bold in my faith in the way that I talk about my faith? What happens when somebody drops one of those bombs into the conversation? I mean, you, you may have been a, been a part of one of those, but what about this? Well, what do you, how do you feel about these people? What, what's going on here? I mean, I mean, if we're honest, it creates anxiety to think about that. And the easiest thing to do, what, is to soften the blow, maybe, you know, just be really, really quiet, just let the conversation kind of explode, or depending on your personality, kind of jump in and just start swinging, right? You know, we're gonna get in this, you know, I'm gonna fight, I'm gonna defend Christianity, right? I'm gonna figure out, how to do it. Well, the Apostle Paul was in the midst of conflict. He was bold. He never sacrificed the message of the gospel. He never sacrificed the truth of the word, ever. I mean, he would say he obviously made mistakes as he was bumbling around and trying to figure all of these things out. But when you read scripture, the Apostle Paul was like, I'm going to be bold in preaching the gospel. What he prayed for when he was you know, speaking and writing letters to the church at Ephesus, he says, pray for me that that, that when I get a chance that I, that, that I would speak boldly, that I would speak fearlessly the gospel, that, it would, that, that when, when I open my mouth, that that's what would come out is the message of Jesus. That even in chains, that I would be bold and I would preach the gospel. So that's what he did, he was bold. I was reading the, the commentary um, on this in Enduring Word, and we've kind of, if you've been, you were a part of City Group Kickoff, you might've learned um, how to dive into a simple commentary as you're reading scripture. Um, you'll do that in your city groups. But uh, one of the statements in the Enduring Word commentary says this, it says, Paul did make the gospel as attractive as possible. So Paul had some tact, but he never changed its central character, Jesus, or the focus. Paul never compromised issue, issues like man's need. We all are desperate in need of what? God's Savior, the cross of Jesus Christ. 
the resurrection. He never softened the blow. He, he said, this is what we need. This is how sinful we are. Here's what Jesus did. The resurrection, he didn't tiptoe around the fact that Jesus was risen from the dead and the fact that he had been raised to new life. But if you read that passage in scripture, you can see that the apostle, the apostle Paul wasn't looking for, for man's approval either. He wasn't tiptoeing around issues as he was digging into what he was carrying in every town that he went, went to. He speaks even to the Philippian church. It's like, man, I was in Philippi and we got worn out there. It was like from thing to thing to thing. There was, if you read the passage, and again, I, we, we wanna do these cross-references, you'll see the cross-reference to his reference to Philippi. Go back to Acts chapter 16. Put that in the margin as you're studying your Bible. Go back to Acts chapter 16. The apostle Paul rolls into town. He's cruising around and there's this young girl and she's shouting behind him, praise be to God, praise be to God. These guys are the best. And the apostle Paul kind of sensed that something was wrong with her. Like, I mean, even though she was saying all the right things, like, praise be to Jesus, these guys are awesome, listen to whatever they say. The Apostle Paul was like, please, please, you're not helping our branding issue here in Philippi. Um, you know those kind of people, you know what I'm talking about? Um, hey, it's great, I'm glad you're excited. Um, stop. Uh, and he, he realized that she was, she, something was wrong with her, she was demon possessed. He, pray, he ends up praying for her, demon comes out. Well, what you, what you find out as you read the story is, Whatever this demon was that she had, whatever was going on with her spiritually, uh, gave her the ability to uh, like know the future. And she was a fortune teller, like a legit one, not one of those ones that you, you see kind of set up that'll just, you know, taking your money, legit. And there was guys that were, were utilizing and leveraging her to make lots and lots of money. So what do you think they were? They were immediately, guess what she couldn't do anymore when she was free to this demon? Fortune tell, right? So what happens as a result of that? The people that were, the, the multitude of people that were making money off of this business of fortune telling, that their, their cash cow gone. So what do you think happened? Everybody got mad. The Apostle Paul gets beaten and then he gets beaten for all kinds of, all kinds of reasons, gets, gets thrown in prison. But, but all the while, never forsaking the message of the gospel. But what, is it, what does he do when he's in prison? He's in chains. And he could be in that place of like, oh man, this, this, is, this is no good. No, he sings songs at midnight. Like in there, as dark as, no, he can't see anybody, just him and Silas. He's like, man, let's, let's fire up that, you know, the, there's a fire down in my soul. Let's, let's try that one, you know? One I can't contain, can't control. Let's, let's sing that. And they sing, and what happens? Angel comes. I mean, by the power of God, the prison doors swing open, and the the guy that's, you know, supposed to be in charge of everything, he's freaked out. I mean, Rome doesn't play. And you were a Roman soldier. You know, you were one of these guys that had been trained like a Navy SEAL to not let anything happen. Like, hey, you're in charge of all this stuff and we've trained you, you know, we've put you through waterproofing. We've done all the stuff that you need to go through to be, be the, in the position you're in. And all of a sudden people get out of prison. You know, it's gonna be better for you to just die right there than to deal with what's gonna to happen to you uh, if you get stuck in a Roman jail and you are a Roman citizen that's committed a crime. So what does he, he wants to fall on a sword and the apostle Paul's, no, don't kill yourself, we're all still here. They all stayed there. And the guy says immediately, instantaneously, what do I gotta to do to be saved? Because everything that he saw was just miraculous. And then he sees kindness take place. But all the while, the apostle Paul's not looking 
for man's approval. He's saying, look, in the midst of all this conflict, in the midst of all this suffering, in the midst of what I'm going through, one of the reasons he's trying to create, he's trying to tell the Thessalonians, hey, I want you to learn how to represent yourself and, and say that you're legitimate because there was a lot of false teaching going around. There was a lot of people that were trying to, you know, teach people something and gain money for it. It was a lot of you know, infomercials happening, I guess, and people were asking for money, prayer cloths, whatever. They were doing stuff like that. And he's like, I, why would I get beaten? Go, go, go find out what happened in Philippi. Go, look what happened in your town. Why would I do this if I didn't believe it? Why would I do this just as if it, if it was a lie? Why would, I, why would I go through this? Why would I suffer through this conflict? And he's teaching them how to to represent that, but he didn't assimilate into the culture. He didn't compromise and become a feel-good person. So when those questions come, people are like, I can't believe that you're a part of a church. Don't Christians believe X? What's your response? Where, where, do, you go, where do you go from there? You know, do you, do you say that the Bible is all true? Because that's what you believe. Do you say that Jesus is the only way? Do you, do, you, do you answer the question when somebody talks about the family structure and the way that, that you live your life and the way that the church sees marriage and family? How do you respond to that? Don't Christians hate X? How do you respond to that? And then the question, the, the simple question, what do you believe? How do you respond to that? The Apostle Paul knew every time how to respond to those things. But how he responded was very important. And we find that out as we read in chapter seven, because before the Thessalonians were followers of Jesus, they were these people asking these questions. They were these people that were like, what are you talking about? They were these people that were saying, hey, we're not so sure about this thing. And what does he say about how he treated them? Look at verse seven. And this is where you see, it wasn't just boldness. It wasn't just, we're gonna go to war. It wasn't just like, we need to batten down the hatches. Look what's happening. Look what they're teaching in our schools. Look what's happening. It wasn't that. Yes, you should know what's being taught in your schools. But are we gonna, is it, is it the, the primary responsibility that we separate ourselves from everything that's going on in the world and that we wage war on that? That our main focus is a political one? Absolutely not. Should we know what's going on in politics? Absolutely. But the Apostle Paul never got sidetracked. He always kept the main thing the main thing. It always continued to be about the gospel. It always continued to be about the centrality of Jesus. It never became about you know, any particular thing that was happening in the world around them. They knew that that was going to take place. It was more about how are we gonna navigate and keep our bearings in Christ as these things are gonna continue? Was it gonna wage war against how do we change all the stuff? Yes, you wanna... You wanna develop a Christian worldview. We wanna develop, that's why we're doing what we're doing in our city groups, that's why we're doing what we're doing with these city group kickoffs. We want you to know how to filter your lives through scripture so that you know how to teach your kids, so they know how to live and survive and carry the gospel in their realm, in their world, in their schools, without falling prey to just kind of assimilating into the culture, going, yeah, that is weird, Christianity does do that. Yeah, I don't know why they believe that. I don't know what this is happening. So we can respond with boldness and say, man, you have no idea how Jesus can change your life. How God created everything on planet Earth and he knows exactly how to live life the best way. He knows what, how, he's, he's taught us what it looks like to be married. He's taught us what it looks like to, to have relationships with one another. Instead, you know, we don't want that situation where we're just kind of cowering. 
But we also don't want that situation where we're lighting everything on fire and running to the hills and saying, you know what? This is all you know, gone to pot. We can't even engage in the, in the world that God's placed us in anymore. So what does the Apostle Paul do? How did he do it? Did he run away from Thessalonica? No, luckily he didn't. Verse seven, it says, he was marked by gentleness, and we should be too. Marked by gentleness. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing, nursing mother taking care of her own children. In verse eight, he says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Now there's some amazing things in this, just this little chunk of scripture. In their gentleness and kindness, this is how he, he did some things. He represented to them what it, was, what it meant to not just cruise in and drop a tract off at the, at the office or to walk down the beach. And I'm just, if somebody's ever done that, that's, it's fine. But there's a depth to what the Apostle Paul did. It wasn't you know, you know, laying something down on someone's beach towel and just telling them about Jesus. It was laying something down on someone's beach towel, telling them about Jesus, and then spending the next few weeks with them. That's what the Apostle Paul, now that would be weird, I get it. But it was relational. There was, he, he built leverage. Maybe the, the track wasn't the first move. Does that make sense? There, there, was, there was something that was happening. You know, it was interesting. You know, I talked about Kyle Rader last week. One of the things that he, he said to me, he said he was telling his, his, uh, his family about becoming a Christian and, and just what was happening with it, just transformation and all of the things. I don't even know if Kyle's here, but I talked about you last week. Uh, he knew that I was gonna. Um, but it just and being a new Christian and saying all the stuff like, hey, I'm going to this, going to this, this weekend retreat. And the, you know, the, the assumption sometimes is like, and, and for good reason, like I'm sure they want something. I'm sure they're gonna ask for money. I'm sure it's gonna be weird. You know, there's just all these assumptions. And he, he I remember him asking the, the question, why are you taking all this time with, with me? Like you, you've, you've met with me, you've hung out with me, you've spent time with me. And he literally used the term, what's the catch? And when he realized there was no catch, it was like spirit of God. He, he was like, this is legit. This, this is real. And the apostle Paul, what he's saying in verses seven and verses eight, he says like, not, not only did I come with the message, but I came with myself. I gave you me. I'm here for you. I wanted to be here. I, we, we wanted to be a part of your community. We didn't just want to come and, and do, do some drive-by evangelism and drop it into the, the framework. And Gospel Coalition even puts, you know, points this out. Paul points out that his ministry in Thessalonica was not a hit-and-run gospel invasion. Instead, he and his associates were happy to stay, form friendships, and invest in their new friends' lives. I mean, what, 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 it's, it's an amazing thing that you see. You know, I was with students the other night and we were kind of talking about, we're, we're in the same passage. We're in, we were in 1 Thessalonians. We're going through questions just like you guys are gonna go through in your city group. And we're talking about the viewpoint from the outside world. Like what is the, what, what are the outsider, people that aren't Christians? I hate the outsider, insider terminology because we're all human. We're all in desperate need of Jesus. Just some of you in the room have anchored your hope to Jesus. You're not better or worse than anybody else. You just, you've, you've found God is, you, you're awake. 
But that, that's how people feel. That's the perception because we're broken, we're human, we, we might give people. And just listening to the rawness of high school boys. I was in the high school boys group and them talk about what it looks like to feel. And, and one of them was talking about coming in and being you know, new at OCC, being new with our group of you know, you know, 10 or 12 high school boys. And they, he, the guy immediately started talking about language. He's like, y'all, I grew up this way and y'all are speaking this way. And I felt like, I don't know what they're talking about. Like they're using terminology. And even to not know, like we say, we say terms like, you know, you know, let's, you know, fellowship. I mean, we, we're just, I mean, who, nobody uses that term outside the church. Let's just, let's roll up a sweet fatty of fellowship and have a good time. <laughs> Where does that come from? I mean, people, fel, yeah, the fatty obviously is in culture, um, but the fellowship is not. But he was, he was talking about this terminology and just, he's like, I don't, I, I don't understand. And, and uh, Dustin was with me and Dustin's like, Christianese, that's what we call it. It's Christian, you're speaking Christianese, uh, which that you might get canceled for saying that now, I don't even know. Um, but, but it's true. And the Apostle Paul's like, I, and I just, it's, like, it's what we do. Instead of passively just inviting people into our world and not thinking about how we treat people, I mean, even, even when we, I, we talk to the worship team about this, when we're, when we're looking at set lists and thinking about songs, I'm like, how will the person that's walking in here for the first time react? Do we need to give context? Because people are like, I don't even know what that means. What we're reading, what we're singing about, that's weird. You know, blood being poured out, I don't know. You know? So, so how do we extend grace? How are we gentle? How are we kind? Well, create context, invite people in. It's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He's like, hey, remember when you get together, don't be weird. He says it in the middle of the passage. He's like, don't be weird. He's like, there might be people walking into your church that don't know what you're talking about. Yes, the Spirit comes. Yes, God's moving and doing amazing things. Y'all are, things are happening with you. And when, when the Spirit encounters human beings, it's, weird things might happen, but you better explain it. You better, better create context because that's kind. That's gentle. That is empathy. It's getting down on the ground and remembering where you were when you heard the message of the gospel for the first time and the things that you didn't understand and loving people well. The Apostle Paul was so gentle and so kind. The Apostle Paul, he got to know these people. He took his time. He shared his own faith and his own story. He knew that they would relate to that. He's like, I can tell you what, I, I was a persecutor. He didn't lift himself up on a pedestal, you know, and say, I'm the preacher guy. He said, man, I was just like you. In fact, I was on the outside. I had a whole nother faith that I was leaning towards, and I didn't like this whole thing. And you might not like this whole thing, but I, was, I, can, I can relate. Paul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, what does he, what does he, what does he say to the, the Corinthian church? He says, you know, I, I didn't need to change the way that I lived. Like, I, I, I knew that the approval of man, he's, he's like, I, I had no reason, because I was a follower of Jesus, to live my life making sure people liked me. He says, but I became a servant to all. So he says, I'm free from any and all men. I'm free. I don't have to worry about approval. And he's saying that here. We weren't worried about, we were bold in what we said. But in, in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, he says, we're free from any and all men, but I made up myself of what? A servant to any and all that I might save some. And then he goes and he describes all the different people that he got on their level. It wasn't that he changed like a chameleon and said, oh, I'm gonna go into this community and I'm just gonna you know, act like I'm, I'm one of those people and do all the things. He says, no, I didn't lose my bearings in Christ. I just, I knew that I wanted to see things from their perspective. 
I, I wanted to, to learn what they were struggling with. I wanted to read the articles. I wanted to learn, I wanted to listen to their music because music is one of those things that tells you exactly what's going on in the heart. He did that in Acts chapter 16. He literally quotes their own poetry back to them. Why? Because he's kind, because he's gentle. He's not barreling over anybody. He's not coming along and saying, we're gonna wage war with you because you're, you're a Democrat and you believe in whatever this you know, thing and you're ruining our schools. No, he came in and said, hey, I wanna hear why you think and believe. He listened. He listened to people. He was gentle with people. He says so much so that he's like, hey, we were kind with you. We wanted to take care of you. We didn't wanna run you off. And do you see he's building, he's like, okay, these people are bold, but they're also really nice. That's good branding. Because nobody wants a wishy-washy person. Nobody wants somebody that believes in something, has, a, has a, a filter for their life, the Bible, and they bail on it. Like, why would you even do that? Why would you even show up? Why would you even go to church if you don't believe it? Look, they, they're all of a sudden getting to that place of going, okay, we respect these, this, these guys. We might not believe what they believe, but holy smokes, they're the kindest people. They don't give up on us and they have no really reason to be doing the things that they're, they're getting beat for it, but they're still coming back and they're treating us with kindness. They're pleading with us over this, saying, man, this, this really matters. Jesus is real. And they earn their leverage through their unselfish behavior. We should be known for our generosity in the way that we treat people, <clears throat> inviting people in. So they were marked with boldness. They were marked with gentleness and certainly kindness. But they were also marked by faithfulness. If you go back to verse one and just read this thing in totality, it says, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, which we talked about, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel of God to you in the midst of conflict. It's, faithfulness is almost the umbrella that sits over this boldness and this gentleness. These guys were faithful. They didn't give up in the middle how we suffer, not just persecution, but, but anything. There's people in here, when I, when, I, when I look around the room, I know there's people in here that are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And how you suffer can be an amplifier to people that Jesus is real and he's alive and he's worthy of following. And I'm not talking about people walking around going, suffering and all of a sudden, oh, my arm got healed or this got healed. No, the way that you walk with Jesus through the valley of the shadow of death in the midst of conflict, in the midst of suffering, amplifies, amplifies to other people that Jesus must be real, that this message is, is worthy of listening to. How we suffer. I mean, I ask Brett this morning, how you doing? Hey, Brett, how are you? Right. Brett has cancer and look at him smiling. And I asked him, how's he doing? He's, man, I'm good, I'm here, I'm ready to sing. This faithfulness. He's not running away going, look at my life. Look what God's done. Got cancer. No, I'm sure he's had days. You look up and he's frustrated, but he hasn't quit. Look at him. He can't get any closer to the middle of what's going on than he is. You're like, man, I'm away. I got, you know, I'm right here. I don't know what y'all are thinking. <laughs> Louder the better. Shout that cancer away. Woo! There you go. Hey. That'll build your faith. How we 
react, how we walk, our boldness in, in, in the midst in, of conflict is not this angry war that we're waging against some, some political side. It's us as followers of Jesus walking through the valley of the shadow of death in the moments, in the high moments and in the low moments, knowing, knowing this isn't our end. That, that God's not looking down at, at us going, wow, that's terrible. I'm, I'm really hoping things get better for you. But the God that we know, he goes all the way down to where we are into the places. And the apostle Paul was the same way. He had empathy. He, he says, I'm gonna become all things to all people that I might save some. He was gentle, he was faithful, he was bold. And it represented something to the people around him. It was the thing that they couldn't shut down. They can't shut down your kindness. They can't shut down your gentleness. And that doesn't mean you're meek and you're quiet. You're bold, but you're kind and you're faithful. Years ago, I remember I was at RCC, I was in student ministry, and we had a really diverse student ministry. We we're kind of on the border of, you know, this, this town is kind of racially divided. Like there's a big just racial divide um, in, our, in our city. It's almost like the railroad tracks kind of divide, divide us in the northwest side of Jacksonville. And we were kind of planted right there off McDuff, close to Beaver Street and all that. And I had kids from Episcopal and Bowles and, you know, B Bishop Kenny and lots of wealthy kids. Parents made you know, half a million dollars a year to, you know, $1.5 million a year. And then you got kids that their parents made nothing. They were on you know, public assistance and Title I neighborhoods and Lackawanna in that particular area. So I have, I have, I had a group of kids I would take home from youth uh, every, uh, every youth week we had on Tuesday and Wednesday. And I'd be riding home with them, uh, which was always an adventure because you ride down McNuff and you get into a different neighborhood. They would always tell me, they said, Mr. Derek, you can, run, you can run this red light. And I'm like, what do you mean I can run the red light? They're like, you need to run that red light. Because there would be people like wandering around and start getting close to the car. And they're like, hey, Mr. Derek, you can go ahead and go. Um, and uh, I remember one night, uh, this kid I used to take home every week, his name was David. He was super tall. He was like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, uh, you could see him from any, anywhere. And uh, he was so sweet. He was kind and gentle. Um, and he... Lived, I remember taking him home and uh, there was like, I could, could never figure out where I was in Northwest Jacksonville. It was like, I was on Detroit Avenue and then I was Detroit Lane and it was Detroit Street. I don't know why there was so many Detroits. Um, and it, he lived on one of those. Uh, and I got, I got to his house and of course it's not, it's not super nice. And um, he would go in and I mean, I always, always broke my heart just thinking about him. He called me one night and he was crying. And he, he had become a, a, a Christian. It was so beautiful to, to talk to him. And he just said it through tears. He said, I, I don't wanna, I don't, he says, I don't wanna end up like my, my family. And uh, he, was, he said, my, I don't know my dad. He goes, the only father figure I have is my uncle. And he's like, he's, he's, like, he's old, he's 37. <laughs> and I'm like, whew. Um, he sits on the front porch and all he does, he just smokes weed all day and does nothing. And I just see his life crumbling and I see all the people around me, their lives are crumbling. And I don't, I don't, I don't want my life to crumble. I don't wanna go down like that. And I feel like I'm gonna. And he said, I mean, I, I, I was in the conversation with him and 
was kind of hearing them and I, I didn't know what to say. And my, my first instinct was like, hey, this is the time to turn over a new leaf. This is the time to get better. This is the time to, to pave a new road. Um, but God wouldn't let me say that. And I basically just said, hey, I'm not gonna tell you to turn over a new leaf or, or change, change all the stuff. Cause I, I can't, I, I'm just not, I can't, God won't let me. But I can tell you to, to, to not give up and surrender, just surrender daily to Jesus. Just keep surrendering, just keep surrendering, just keep showing up, just don't give up in the middle of this. And I tell you what, I loved it because he was super tall. I'd go to church <clears throat> on Sunday morning and I could see him every Sunday, he was there. Every time we had prayer ministry, he was there. He didn't know what else to do. He had no good road to follow. He had no good roadmap to follow. All he knew was to surrender. That's all he knew is I'm gonna surrender my life to Jesus. And all he knew from that, he didn't know all the Christianese, all the language, how to be a Christian, what are the five steps to be bold, gentle, and faithful. He didn't know any of the stuff. All he knew was in the middle of this mess that he, that he lived in was I am going to show up and I'm gonna surrender. And just look up. And the Apostle Paul is speaking to us, but more importantly, God, I think, is just, just speaking it in the room to, to bring us freedom. That if we're wondering how, what that life looks like, the, the life of boldness, the life of being gentle to, to, our, to the people around us, the people that might not believe what we believe and what it looks like to be faithful. I think it, it all lands in this place of surrendering our life to Jesus. And maybe you're here and you, you don't know who Jesus is, but I can tell you one thing, he is bold, <laughs> he is kind, and he is gonna always be more faithful than any human being will ever be in your life. And he is worthy to follow. And he's worthy of surrendering to. He's worthy of surrendering your life to. Let's stand. God, we love you. We love who you are. We love how your word speaks to us. God, we wanna surrender our lives to you. We want you to lead us to that place of freedom, knowing that we can't turn over a new leaf, but you turn over tables, you bust out of graves. Just come Holy Spirit and lead us home.